Just a minute for Facebook to push this out. Takes a while sometimes. There, there's some people. All right. Thank you for being here today on Facebook Live. Those of you that will be here later on and also watching on uh, YouTube when I get these uploaded. Hi, Rita. It's a pleasure to be here today and, and teach you the, what I've learned yesterday. It's been a lot of hours studying and I, I'm excited. I was so excited about it. I woke up at 4.30 preaching it. <laughs> <laughs> That happens a lot. <clears throat> Always blame it on Father. Hi, Cecil. Hope you get to stay with us. I got something interesting here today. But um, I promise you, if you will really listen uh, at the speed of light and pay attention, I will try to go through this as quick as I can. I don't want to go too quick, though, but I have it's quite a bit to teach. And as always, it needs to all be taught in one lesson. So we'll get through with it. Uh, I'm, I'm unveiling the revelation uh, uh, Jesus revealed to the Apostle Paul and what I mean by unveiling it it's been covered up it's been it's been difficult to really understand the truth of the matter because there was a religion that came up with a doctrine of penal substitution and they covered it by mistranslations wrong perceptions changing scripture around adding words to it and removing words to it and so with the help of Father and what I've been taught by Father for several years, learned together with Kay, I'm uh, unveiling that so we can see uh, clearly now. And so I was sitting yesterday trying to figure out where I wanted to go in the Paul system of truth, and I heard Six Steps to the Throne. And that's really one of the titles that Brother Garner and Leon Stump used for what's called the Pauline Revelation or Paul's Seven Pillars of Truth. And when we started our church back in 1996, I think it was, uh, yeah, around 1996, we really majored on this, and we just talked about six steps to throne all the time. And I would try to get people to memorize, memorize those six steps, which were crucified, died, buried, quick, and raised and seated. And most of the time, they couldn't say it. <laughs> you know, one Sunday, I offered $10 to the first one that could get up and say it, and nobody was able to. Melanie tried, but she messed up. But I didn't let my wife, I knew she knew it, but... Basically, this, this was drilled into our heads, into our awareness. Uh, we spent from 96 to about 2004 going to Brother Garner's conferences, having them come to our church and all the other churches that fellowship together. And everybody majored on six steps to the throne. And they would have signs on their wall all around their building that, you know, one for crucified, one for died, one for buried, and all the scriptures that went through it. And so every pastor that studied under him did the same thing. One time we did in our fellowship. So those words became a very significant part of our, our study, our, our worship, our singing. You know, our songs begin to include that. Uh, Lynn Garner wrote a lot of songs about crucified with, died with, and Judy did too. And so the problem is, is we only knew, <clears throat> we only knew that we had to identify with each one of those steps in order to experience the throne life. So in a sense, we were still having to do something, right? We had to identify with <clears throat> the first three steps, which was crucified, died, and buried, and then the last three, which were quickened, raised, and seated. And uh, without those, there was this mindset that it was impossible to really to relate with Father, to have an understanding with Father. 
And uh, we didn't realize that there's a possibility that, that we already were in union with the Father. Because in that teaching, penal substitution, you still had to get saved. And I always say, and stay saved too. Because some people think that you can, if you get saved, then you can do something and you lost your salvation. So Jesus did these uh, uh, previous three steps to show us, uh, I mean, the, the, the last three steps was quick and raise and seated to show us our supernaturalness, who we are. We, supernatural just means other than physical. So sometimes when we look at something, we say, man, that's a supernatural thing. Well, it was, it's something that was other than just physical, other than that's normal. And I'm not going to teach all these steps here and the physical steps. But the truth is, we thought we were there in Jesus when he was crucified and killed and buried. You know, we have those songs out there, were you there when they crucified their Lord? And we would always say, yes, I was there. Because we thought that Jesus pulled us all into him. We also taught the wrong doctrine of federal headship. That he was our federal head like Adam was our federal head. And those things are wrong. And so we don't have to identify with these things. We, we now know that it wasn't Father killing Jesus. Father did not want Jesus to be killed, but Father knew and Jesus knew that the Jews wanted to kill him. And so I believe in the garden when he said, if there would be any other way, let this cut pass from me, that was him having to be murdered. And I relate that to our president, our, our President Trump. He knew that when he stepped into the office that he stepped into, that there were people who were going to seek to kill him with words, with actions, and possibly people would want to physically kill him. But he loved America so much that he went on ahead and did it, right? So Jesus loved the world so much that he entered into the judgment of the world, and that was the judgment of the Jews, that their judgment was, we have a law, he declares himself to be a son of God, he must die. And that's what he entered into for us. So we don't have to identify with crucified and buried. You know, there was a lot of things revealed there. You know, we know that that Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all into me. He didn't say all men. They added the word men. What did he draw in? He drew in all the confusion. He drew in man's mistaken identity. He drew in the false perception of father being an angry and vengeful God. He drew that into himself and a sense destroyed there. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> uh, and don't get me wrong, I'm thankful for the years I studied under Gary Garner. Uh, you know, Don and I talk about it a lot. Butch talks about it a lot. His six steps to the throne teaching brought me to a higher awareness than where I was before. It really explained some things, but I had to end that because in a sense, staying there with no further, further awareness is a dead work. And a lot of people have stayed there. The majority, I would say, of people who studied under Pastor Garner, Leon Stump, or anybody else that teaches like six steps to the throne, Paul's revelation from the basis of penal substitution, their, their, their awareness is just there, and it's a message of death. You had to identify with the death, but Jesus, and I think I pointed this out last week, all Jesus did was point out life. He was here to bring an awareness of life and life more abundantly. So as I've shared in the previous book that we wrote, I wrote and taught, which I released volume four uh, yesterday. So I, I would love for you to get that book if you want to. It's, it's got a lot of nice, uh, nice understanding in it. But we don't have to identify with what Jesus did. We do not have to identify with what Jesus did. We identify with Father, for we are one. Identity means to be considered the same, right? And that's what Brother Garner said. So. In that sense, we were identifying with Jesus, considering ourselves to be the same. But I consider myself to be as Father, 
and I'm the same as Jesus and my ministry, the way I, I live and move and have my being out of Father. You know, uh, Kay was talking about how the word uh, nature, uh, name means the way also. And so Jesus showed us the way. So I identify with that way. I identify with that truth and I identify with the life that he lived. And I know that's the life that I'm supposed to live too. And I do in many areas of my life. So I'm thankful for what Jesus did that, and that Father did not require it. And I'm grateful for what Jesus taught. So we highly exalt Jesus. He was the greatest master, comforter, teacher there ever was. So let's see what Paul had to say about this. <clears throat> I've translated this and uh, I forgot to type the scripture out in here so I can't give it to you by memory, but it's, I think it's the last part of Romans 6. Yeah, Romans 6. And Donna, remind me if you would that I need to put that in my, my book, the, the, the verse. But in Romans 6, it's uh, verse 23 and 24. It says, but now, after what Jesus revealed to the people around him and taught me, this is Paul talking, <clears throat> I have the chance to explain and teach these truths to you. I desire that you awaken to your freedom from the many dead sacrifices and blood offerings and the dictates of the Mosaic law. Now that you know and are aware of the truths I am revealing to you, you are sure that you are bonded together as one with Father, and nothing can separate you from that fact. You need not do one more thing to be who you be. Now you can possess, handle, and understand the fruit which you have desired to have, which is your eternal pureness and holy Zoe life. That's what, you know, that's God life. <clears throat> Without any efforts from yourself, you possess this life before the foundation of the world, and it continues age after age after age, world without end. Verse 24, in conclusion of this section of my letters, that's chapter 1 all the way to, to chapter 6, you now know the fruit of following the Mosaic Law and other religious laws is death to the knowledge of the life of Father within. You're not aware that the endowment of life placed in you by Father at the foundation world is a life of well-being. It's a life of wholeness. It's a life of peace, of joy, of divine health, and perfect fellowship with Father and man. It remains from everlasting to everlasting as revealed by Jesus' incarnational event. And then he said, Amen. And Amen means let it be so, right? Mm -hmm. I had a lady today trying to correct one of my posts, and it was amazing how she based all of her ability to correct me and tell me that I'm wrong on the Torah and the written word. And she, she still believes the written word is the real word of God. And basically she told me that the Lord visited me today and I rejected the Father. And that, I don't mind her saying that, but it saddens me that belief in religiosity causes that. And it causes people to do those things. She needs to hear what Paul said. We need to realize that that has done nothing but brought dead works and it makes, mean, makes people mean. It really does. And they think, you know, they don't understand that. We, Father Jesus said, we will, they will know you by your love, not by your attack, not by your anger or whatever. So that's very important. So there's no time in breath, which is in the, in the Bible says spirit, but there's no time in holy breath. Uh, there are only growth and steps and unfolding consciousness and awareness. You know, it, sometimes that takes somebody, if you look at time, it could be five years or it could be one year or it could be one month. It depends on the person. And so in holy breath, the days, the months, the years, a man counts times represent degrees or steps in understanding. Everywhere I've been in my life has been, when I look back over it, 
I can see where it was a step in understanding where my understanding became greater and greater and greater. Uh, I've jumped ahead of myself a little bit, but a lot of people think steps are walls. You know, I always tell people that's lost a job and they're all, all upset about it. And they think, what am I gonna do now? And I always say, don't look at it as a wall, look at it as, as a step. And the reason I can say that, because I've had many steps in my life that if I would have sat down and done nothing, then it would have been a wall, but I didn't do that. And so Jesus experienced these degrees or steps of understanding in evolution. There was an evolution of his growth from birth to 12 years old. And we'll look at that, or I'm gonna look at it right now. But in Luke 1, 80, it says, and the child, speaking of Jesus, waxed strong in breath and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. What was he doing in the desert? Remember, he was been taught by his mother. He was been taught by the Essenes. His, his ear was been tuned, if you would, been sharpened to hear the voice of Father. And he, he, he grew tremendously. And that phrase, wax strong, is K-R-A-T-A-I-O-O. -O. I think it's Kratoyo. And it means to empower. It means to uh, increase in vigor, to increase in strength, powerful and mighty dominion. So we know these things have nothing to do with a body or big muscles or abs of steel, if you would. These all have to do with spiritual awareness. He waxed strong. He increased in his spiritual awareness and his understanding and his wisdom and living and moving and having his being out of the divine mind of Father. And he did that by listening to the Essenes, which were mystic, they were spiritual seekers, and by his mom, because she had been trained by the Essenes, and also she was given instruction by Gabriel, man, how to protect Jesus and keep him away from the Pharisees. So what happened here, and actually, his name was not Jesus. Jesus is the English word that somebody came up with, but in the Greek it's Iosis, and, and in the Hebrew it's Yeshua, and I, I like the name Yeshua. I had a CD years ago or a tape about a kind of a play about Yeshua and I've, it's been lost, but I used to lay and just listen to it and meditate on it. But that's really his name. <clears throat> and so he learned much then uh, than any more around him at all. From four, I think it's about four to five years old, he was taken out into the desert and taught. And by the time he was 12, then it was time for him to present himself to the, the, to the Israel or the Jewish leaders and we know what happened there. He confounded them with his questions, wise questions, and also with the answers that he gave. And that's pretty cool to me. You know, so we think, well, <clears throat> I'm 60, 70 years old, it's too late for me. No, it's not. You know, if a, if a child can learn from five to 12, you know, you can learn. You know, it's just a matter of whether people want to or not. So what I share in this particular chapter of the book I'm writing, uh, the spiritual symbolism of the six steps I want to point something to us and what they point to. And there's something at the top of the steps. You know, we talk about the six steps of the throne and it says to the throne, but we, 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 we see it as at the top of the steps, but literally the throne is who we are. So what I'm going to talk to you about is six steps of spiritual awareness that we need to continue in. Most of us are spiritually aware in one level or another, but we need to become fully spiritually aware. So I'm gonna give you some things today that you probably never heard of before. Last night when I sat down, or yesterday about 5.30, something around there, I sat down and I just began to listen to the Lord. And I said, I'm, I'm not sure to where I'm gonna go yet, but I started going through my old teachings on Paul's system of truth, and all of a sudden I just heard six steps to the throne. 
Father spoke through my thoughts six steps to the throne. And again, I didn't want to take what Kate taught about it or any, any you know, any other person talk, talk, taught about it, which is, which is probably correct. It is correct. But I just wanted to find something that's something you've never heard before that I think will really help you. And Father led me that way. I, I was searching on the internet and I found a woman that was teaching uh, about awareness and she talked about six different words that I'll share with you in a minute that I think you're gonna see a lot of light there because we want more understanding. We Most of us will say we're the throne room of God, but I think we have very little understanding of that. I think possibly we don't really believe it sometimes that literally I am the dwelling place of Father. You know, So I always say we need to know that we know. So uh, the problem is when we studied the six steps of the throne, we were still a sinner saved by grace, right? So how can I be the throne room of God if I'm still a sinner? You know, so, you know, those are things I thought about all the time. So we want to glean from these, these steps and we must realize these steps of awareness to understand our expression and our demonstration of Father is now. It's not going to be, we already were. When your mother and daddy looked at you and that doctor and the nurses, when you came out of your mother's womb, you were the expression of father right then. And what happened is a veil got put over you, a veil of understanding. You were possibly never taught at all, or you know maybe you were taught a little bit, but the veil continued to stay there. And so what I mean by the express image is we are all sons and daughters of God. Jesus was not the only son of God, Jesus was a son of God, and that's what it says in scripture. So the expression needs to first take place in us, right? If it takes place in us, then we can show it to other people and help them express themselves too. So an important thing we need to admit is steps can lead you higher or lower, right? Depends on what step you do. If you're going down, it leads you lower. If you're going up, it leads you higher. And some places we go where we're taught, literally it keeps us going down. It keeps us in the dust realm, if you would. In the Bible, the Philistines, they mean dust dwellers. They, they didn't walk in the cool of the day. They, they were dust dwellers. They were all, the only thing they were interested was carnal things. <clears throat> so to go up is walking in the cool of the day. To go down is living out of a dust realm or essential awareness, if you would. So scripture states we live a life of non-existence, which means, which they use the word perish, but we live a life of non-existence uh, exp uh, because we expose ourselves and we don't have a vision. We expose ourselves to religious teaching. Religious teaching robs us of our vision. Uh, we could say it, it, it makes us naked. Remember Adam said, I'm naked. <clears throat> so I looked that up and when the race of man came into being, scripture says that they were naked and they were not ashamed. So why would Adam say, I'm naked? and think that would separate from God. So you've got to look at the words naked where they're used. They use naked twice, but one of them is just nude. They were nude and they were not ashamed. However, when Adam fed from the teachers of the knowledge of good and evil, they used the word naked. And it's, it's a different word, it's aram, A-R-A-M, which means to made bare or uh, to expose oneself by crafty and carnal counsel. So what happened when we fed other teachers the knowledge of good and evil, we, we were made uh, bare and, and we, were, we, we exposed ourselves, if you would, to what they wanted us to be involved in. When, when Father, Father said, only eat from the tree of life, that's what he wanted us to be exposed to, was the truth. So when he said, I'm naked, I've been 
I have exposed myself. He, that's what he said. I exposed myself to the lie. And then he said, well, who told you that? And then that's when he said, I've been feeding on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or teachers. So did we not do the same thing? We set, we, we expose ourselves to all kinds of teachings. We expose ourselves to people who are mean and suppose, you know, just like I tell people all the time, I love the block button. You know, I didn't block that lady today. I did unfriend her because I don't want her to have to see my post in a defender all the time. She'll have to purposely come to my page. But if she gets to the point where she continues to spew out her carnal belief system, then I'll end up blocking her because I don't want to expose myself. And also, I don't want to expose the people that follow me to that. You know, and that, that happens sometimes. So I always say, if you don't agree with something, just walk on by. You, you don't need to try to prove me wrong. Just, you know, I, I, I told her, I said, I'm not trying to blow your light out. Please don't try to blow my light out because we're not to do that. I, mean, I put that on Facebook. <laughs> <clears throat> Excuse me. So we expose ourselves to the great lie and we said, amen. And when we said, amen, we said, let, that, let it be. Uh, and so we embrace that lie. What did it do? When you embrace a lie, it brings you down to the dust realm. You know, I put a post on Facebook about the accuser of the brethren is the brother. That's us. And that could be a person saying something against you. And what we must do is don't embrace it and don't expose ourselves to it anymore. So what does the word vision mean? It comes from the Hebrew word kazon. It's spelled C-H-A-Z-O-W-A-N, but it's, it's pronounced kazon, <clears throat> meaning spiritual or mental sight. It means revelation and it means oracle. So kazon comes from kazal, meaning to be able to gaze to perceive and to contemplate with pleasure. When I'm studying these things and, and the truth of the living word, it brings great pleasure to me. It, it energizes me. I told Donna after almost seven and a half hours of studying yesterday, when I got up, I felt wonderful. When I'm feeding on the living word, it energizes you and, and, and it's good for you. And that's why I try to do it as much as I can. So taking the downward step causes your vision to blur. Right? That's why Paul said, now what he's talking about is where you're at now, you see through a glass darkly. But then, what's the then? When you wake up, not when Jesus comes back someday, but when you wake up, you're going to see clearly. So taking that downward uh, uh, step causes a vision to, ver uh, to blur, and some end up blind to the things of God. They've gone down so much and they're comfortable with where they're at. They're not even interested in understanding the truth of the word. They're happy with where they're at. So we must take these steps of awareness in a manner of non-resistance. It's important not to resist the truth, right? And with humility, we take this on this divine activity and we accept the will of Father. And what that is, that that's incorporating with ourselves the divine will of Father. And the will of Father is for us to live and move and have our being out of Father and the Father to live and move and have his being in us and for us to be a blessing in the earth. And every one of us have different ways of doing that. We don't have to say, well, I'm gonna be like Roy, or I'm gonna be like Donna or Norma, or, you know, you, you be who you be. And sometimes people say they don't know who they are, but the truth is, if you look back, you'll see who you're intended to be. So this part, we can say, we're talking about six steps to spiritual awakening equals knowing you're a son or daughter or father. That's one of the first things that you wake up to is I was born a son, a, a father. You were born, you two ladies, a daughter, a father, and you can never lose that. Now, I'm fully aware that many teachers explain six steps to the throne, which is commonly titled that, 
and they taught it in a physical understanding. You know, physically what happened at the cross and the, all that. The other night I was on Facebook and there was a, a church down in Southeast Oklahoma. I'm not gonna say who it is, but I know them well and they're wonderful people. But there was a man there teaching and I listened to him for a little while and it just all sounded familiar and I, all of a sudden I know, oh, he's getting ready to teach on Paul's system of truth and he was teaching six steps of the throne. And I listened for a while and he taught it just like Brother Garner taught it, like I taught it, like Leon Stump. And people always teach it the same way. And so it's a physical understanding. But there are a few mystics. And again, a mystic is a person that seeks the spiritual truth of the word. They teach it other than physical understanding, which is the spiritual uh, or the allegorical interpretation of how these steps speak to our awareness. Again, we're looking at the entire Bible on the basis of an awareness. Hi, Sandra. Hi, Mary. Good to see you with us today. So now... The six steps of, the spirit, uh, of a spiritual awakening. The first is chaos. C-H-A-O-S. What do I mean by chaos? Well, it's a time when something happens in your life that starts you in an upward motion. It can be, a, in a sense, a bad thing. It can be a change. It could be lots of things. For me and Donna, it was a time of of leaving a, a place that we were at for many, many years. I was there for 38 years. And, you know, for me personally, uh, I lost a, a really good job. All this happened within just a few, a little bit of time. I lost a really good job. I turned 40, which can imagine how bad that was. <laughs> I'd like to go back to that age. But I turned 40. My daughter was getting married. A lot of th stuff was going around us. And literally, uh, chaos happened. But it, instead of us allowing it to push it down, by the grace of our father, we allowed it to push us up. We didn't understand that right, did we, Donna, at that time? We didn't realize that we were taking a step. And what happened, that step caused us to move away from an old awareness and kept me that kept me from awakening to righteousness. The Apostle Paul encouraged the believers of Corinth to do that, to awake to righteousness. Sometimes you have to have some chaos in your life before that'll happen. I'm not saying God sends bad things to us. God doesn't send the chaos. And again, I said sometimes the chaos is, is we think it's bad or we think it's good or whatever, but it's something that stirs us up to all of a sudden there's this spontaneous awakening that, that takes place and you start to go upward. You don't know where you're going necessarily. You definitely don't get to, to the top right off the bat. You know, when I met Brother Garner, I thought I was at the top, didn't we? We thought, wow, we know all there is now. I mean, I really didn't think that, but we thought this was what we were looking for all of our life and we found out later on that it wasn't and there had to be some chaos to get me out of that and again i'm not saying father orchestrates that but it just happens brother garner uh probably had it when i first met him but he ended up with uh with uh alzheimer's and there was a tough time for several years not just me for but for everybody he he had this false idea that i had taken all of his sermons from him and everything which he told me to do it. He told me to type it out. He told me to take it and, and update it all the time. But I knew what it was, but it still was chaos, right? And then there began to be rejection. That's chaos. And all of a sudden, it, we had to step away. And when we stepped away, Father began to speak to me and said, now you can quit transcribing what other preachers teach, and now I'm going to dictate to you. If that hadn't happened, I probably wouldn't have stepped up. So again, Father doesn't bring those things into our life. 
but those things that are just, they, they naturally take place when you're still in a measure in the sensory realm understanding because you're always been pulled up higher always and but we don't always understand that mm-hmm. and so <clears throat> so when you're in the middle of it when you're in the middle of chaos just be aware that it's a step up yeah calm down and be quiet Mm -hmm. don't fight it and just say where's the next step lord and wait and it'll, it'll just show up so when jesus was taken to the cross and crucified for saying he was the son of god do you think chaos broke out amongst the people oh yeah the mary and all the friends, the relatives, all the followers, all the people that he gave him bread and he, his, his disciples that he showed them where to get money to pay their taxes and gave them all kinds of spiritual, uh, spiritual uh, understanding that they couldn't understand. They thought he was going to destroy Rome and take over and be the king. They thought he was always going to be with them. Mary was told by Gabriel what was going to happen and who he was going to be, but she didn't quite understand it. And literally, they looked at him as he was been beaten to almost to death, and then a cruel death on the cross. They thought Jesus would be there with them forever. They felt that, but guess what? Feelings can lie to you. Feelings can deceive you. They 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 felt like they needed him and they had to have him there. But the problem is, Jesus realized that, so he was willing to let them kill him because he knew if he stayed, they would never go to the Father. Right? They would never depend on their source within. And that's why a comforter messenger cannot be always a person's life. After a while, <coughs> they need to get to the point where they're equipped to be comforter messenger themselves. And so when this happened, they should have stopped and reconsidered their theology, their hopes, what they thought he said. They, they, they had, that, that they might have thought that there's something more important to what Jesus was teaching than what we think he was here for. And the whole world's in that shape right now. All of Christianity, they still don't understand what Jesus was teaching. And, and it was much more than that he was just going to go die on the cross for them. So chaos is where you seemingly are minding your own business and you're happy in your life or expectations. Then something big happens that shakes you out of their place and then boom, there's chaos all around you. And it takes place a lot. Mine took place again in 1996 when all that happened. And the chaos was spontaneous and I experienced something for the first time in my life. I heard Father's voice. Many of you that follow me have, I've told you before that Donna was always saying, the Lord said this to her, the Lord said that to her. And I thought privately, well, why is the Lord talking to her? I'm the minister. I'm the one that's studying. But you know what? I wasn't doing something she was doing. She was being quiet and calm when she approached Father. And when you're quiet and calm, you can hear, right? When you're in the midst of chaos, you can't hear. And that's why it's important to understand when there is chaos in your life, resist the feeling to freak out. Resist the fear that can come from it and realize that it might be possibly a step up that's bringing you higher. <clears throat> so what happens, if responded to properly, the chaos within your soul switches, uh, within your soul switches you on and you begin to start asking questions. Sometimes the questions aren't really the questions you need to be asking. So I think often, and I've had it with me, Father asks me questions, and I think it's me asking the question. So I believe that Father helps us to ask the correct question, because when Father does that, the answer is gonna be right in front of you. You're gonna be led to the answer. 
And so I wasn't yet asking the right questions, but I, but I asked, you know, I did. And I woke out of that long time slumber that I was in from 1988 to 1996 and even longer. And then by the time 2005, my, so mine lasted about 1996 to 2005. And then I began to awaken in a measure, if you would, to more and more understanding until we got to living off our spiritual resources, no penal substitution, and then teaching the spiritual code and symbology of the living word. And I'm telling you, the awakening took a while. Some people will just pop up, wake up today, and you know, they, they get a thing, but some people it takes a while. And I think most people it does. So soon I found it was what I was teaching was not the truth, if you would. It was a measure that came from the written word, but then it was a stepping stone to the truth of the living word. I was talking to Butch about this last night because I didn't want to just say the six steps of the throne of teaching was all carnal, but in a sense it was, but it brought me to a place. Every place that I've been all my life in the Word, because I was, I was born in church, I've been in church all my life, I've had all kinds of levels of teaching. When I got tired of what I was learning at Full Gospel Assembly, then I found John Corson in Jacksonville, Oregon, which was a pastor of a four-square church, a very large church, what the best teacher I've ever heard in my life. We just loved listening to him, Donna. We, we had, I've had literally thousands of his tapes uh, and he went from Genesis to Revelation every year. I transcribed every one of them. They're not the living word, but he, he just showed me the, the Bible and helped me understand the entire Bible. And I'm not saying I have full understanding of it, but that was a step. And then I met Brother Garner and that's another step. And then after my relationship with Brother Garner dwindled because he was sick, and then Father brought me to just him and I listened to him. So this first step of Jesus uh, crucified would be a place of judgment to all I thought was true. That's a place of judgment to all I thought was true. It wasn't me being judged. It wasn't the world being judged. He entered into the judgment of the world, which was what the Jews did to him. So it was a place of judgment to everything I thought was true. And I would be where the carnal will or uh, the principle of sense consciousness passes by being replaced by the spiritual consciousness. And that's what Father wants us to do, to be in that place where all that false teaching will pass over to receiving spiritual consciousness. Spiritual consciousness destroys carnal consciousness, right? So again, we don't try to destroy it, we just feed on the truth. King David's chaos is experienced after he had an affair with Bathsheba. Uh, he set her husband up to be killed in a battle, and then they married and gave birth to Solomon to establish peace. So even though you're in a, involved in chaos, some goodness can come out of that. And so at this chaos step, one begins to question their theology. One begins to question their purpose in life. What am I here for? It's a good question, as David did. He said to the father, if you wanted sacrifice, I would give it to you, but you don't. So see, he questioned his theology. You don't want my sacrifice. You want a man after a contrite awareness. That's what the word heart means, awareness. So when we search the scripture to find where crucifixion takes place, we're introduced to a symbolism that's not too hard to interpret, and that's Golgotha. That's where Jesus was crucified. In the Aramaic language, it means a place of the skull. The skull is where confused intellect is crossed out, if you would, where it's done away with. The skull <clears throat> is where uh, is, 
is where the divine mind takes over, if you would, and that's where you, you win eternal ascendancy. In other words, you're continuing to climb higher and higher and higher. You begin to tap into the divine mind. So Jesus was crucified there. Uh, that contact with Father might become all and in all. Jesus took all the confusion to the cross with him. And we were supposed to see that. But because of religiosity, uh, uh, people, they were hidden from that understanding, if you were. So Jesus going up to Jerusalem means taking this preparatory, preparatory step uh, when the eagle gets crucified. And we can say that's what was crucified there. When Jesus said, I was crucified with, with Jesus, the I was ego, me, myself, and I mentality was crucified there. And the reason Paul could say that is because Jesus taught him what happened at the cross. And Jesus tried to teach it to the disciples. And Jesus, uh, the, the, the uh, disciples wrote it down, but the, but the translators made a, made a mess of it, if you would. And so therefore people couldn't understand that. And sadly, Christians who continue to think only about the crucified Jesus, they're looking into a tomb. They're looking at a death. You know, there's many stories in the Bible that we used to use in the Old Testament to try to explain that we need to view a death. And the truth is we don't need to view a death of a person. We need to view and experience the death of an old worn out awareness. And that's what Jesus was showing us. And so they need to focus on their, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, on their eternal glorified perfection, wholeness, their truth. Because in truth, we were born saved. Saved means rescued. When were we rescued? From the foundation of the world. If Norma, when she was born, her grandpa put millions of dollars in a bank for her, and when she turned 18, it was hers to do what she wanted, her grandpa rescued her from ever being poor if she used it with wisdom and understanding. So Father put everything in us that we would ever need. And of course, in Ecclesiastes, it says we, that God made us upright. We were born upright. The problem with the church is we're always trying to make people upright. We need to teach them that they are already. <laughs> so this place is for contact with Father, divine mind brings one to the second step. And the second step is bliss, B-L-I-S-S, it's bliss. Bliss is what Eden is. And it's, it's an inner awareness and it's an inner experience. Eden means sensible duration, pleasure, delight, and pleasantness. So this step brings a harmonious state of consciousness in which all possibilities of growth are there. When humankind is expressing harmony with a divine mind, what it does, it brings forth the qualities of, of the divine life or the being in divine order, if you would. We live and move and be in our divine order and everything comes into order and we dwell in Eden or this state of bliss. And what happened is Adam, the first race of man, uh, they believed a lie and they self-condemned themselves and their awareness digressed to the kernel and father continuously tried, continued to try to clothe them in their understanding and they rejected it. So what was passed on from them is the many religions, if you would. And people embrace those religions, and when they embrace them, then in a sense, death passed on to them. Not because Adam did it, but because they continued to do the same thing. And so death was, a, was no knowledge of Father, no intimacy with Father, and death to who they are. They didn't know who they really were. 
So this step brings a real connectedness to Father and to people and to flowers and to the mountains and to the world and to an animals. All of a sudden, suddenly, everything's beautiful. And if you remember, I've shared with you for several years, I've been experiencing that. Everywhere I go, I see beauty. You know, one of my friends, uh, a very good friend, not, you know, not, not him a long time, but enough to, that I can say he's my friend, he's, uh, he's had this belief that he's a homosexual and has since he was six years old. And, but he's tried to, tried to suppress it. He's, he loves God. He ministered in music. His family loves God. But there came a point in time where he was driving himself crazy and he finally came out. And he did it on Facebook. And most people embraced him and loved him, but a lot of people decided it was their place to correct him. And they would say, well, I love him, but I love him, but they didn't see him as beautiful. And that's how Jesus was able to do anything that he did with people. He, he saw them as altogether lovely. He saw through what they presented themselves to be. I'm not saying whether he's right or whether he's wrong, but I see him as a son of God. I see him as perfect. I see him as holy. And that's the way we're supposed to do that. So when we live in bliss, then we see everybody else in that same state. So this step or stage can last for a short time, long time, or indefinitely. I hope it lasts indefinitely. You know, I, I, I hope that I will always see beauty in everything. And Donna knows when we're driving, I always say, look at the clouds over there. Look at that field. Even Donna does it. She'll, she'll go look at that field with, hey, isn't that beautiful? And some people say, what are you talking about? Well, it is. It is beautiful. <laughs> I see it. I, 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 I do a lot the of... The moon and the The moon? Uh, did you see the morning moon the other day? Wasn't that gorgeous? It's very, very seldom do you see it like that. But I take a lot of pictures of things that I think are beautiful. And sometimes I show them to people. And why did you take a picture of a snail? <laughs> Well, it was beautiful. It was on concrete. I zoomed in on it and the color and, you know, so, uh, you know, we can sing that song, everything's beautiful in its own way, but I think it is beautiful. So here you experience a true love without a cause. Remember I told you that father's love, agape love is love without a cause. I'm not telling you, I think it's beautiful because I just think it's beautiful. And so, <clears throat> You experience this and you start hearing Father clear at this point. Because in order to experience bliss, what do you have to do? You have to calm down and be quiet. You have to not let the chaos control your life. Because there's a lot of chaos going on in this world. But you know what? I don't claim it as my chaos. It's not my chaos. But some people that are in the midst of it and they're experiencing it, they need to be calm and quiet and find out if it's a step. I think a lot of what's going on politically is causing people to be less dependent on the president, the senators, the congressmen, what they can do and be dependent on your source because they're doing their best to get you dependent upon them, right? And the only, only person you should be dependent upon is Father. Father is your source. You also experience more intuition. You experience more perception and discernment into that which is spiritual. And you, you experience less and less on that which is carnal. So you discover your spiritual gift then, or what I call my mandate, my mission, and my ministry. You may not know your gifting, but it will show up. And often people, when they get to this place of bliss, they can look back and say, well, I've been functioning in that gifting all my life. There's a lot of people always saying, do you know God's will for me? I've had that happen a lot. But you know what? I don't have to tell you what God's will is. 
The problem is, is you're wanting something else and you're hoping that's what Father wants. But often you will look back and you'll see these steps that you've been through that's brought you to the point where you can begin to function out of your gift. And your gift is to bless other people. I'm a cherubim. I bless people. Norma, you are. Donna, but we all do it in a different way. I like to give money. If I have money with me, I love to bless people with money. But I also like to bless them with my books. I bless people with encouraging words. I've always liked lifting people up because I know people need that. So what was the cause of bliss in your life? What was the cause of your old worn out uh, awareness dying away as pictured in Jesus dying on the cross? That's another crucified, died, you know, then buried. And so Jesus drew all man's confusion in himself. And there at the cross of his death, the apostle Paul said, the eagle, this is Galatians 2.20, the eagle in my life, me, myself, and I had died when Jesus allowed the Pharisees to kill him. He bore that confusion, again, at the place of the skull. Nevertheless, I am energized. I'm reanimated in my whole man. No longer me as separate, but now I am one with Father in a relationship of rest given to me from the foundation of the world. Now I live out of my holy breath in contact with Father, yet I'm still Paul, but I was revived, animated, and pushed forward in every part of my being by this true Zoe life in me. Now I live, he didn't say in Christ, he said, now I live in constant contact with the divine mind. Isn't that powerful? That's Galatians 2.20, and that's in my, I think that'll be in my second translation book pretty soon. So once that old, worn-out awareness is melted away and made void, then one can make contact with Father and be fully established. In other words, you stay in contact. There's some things in my house that stay in contact with electrical source. Then there's some things that don't. Some things I unplug. I don't use it very much. You know, particularly this light that's shining on me, it's only in contact with its source on Sunday morning, and that's it. But, and there are a lot of people that only get in contact with Father when they need something. They have to go have a prayer meeting. They have to go to a revival. They find out that there's this big revival going on, or there's a guy teaching on how to get wealth, or there's a guy teaching on how to get well or whatever. And so they go and they try to make contact. But wouldn't it be better just to stay in contact? Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to be a concubine with the Father. You know, I want to be, in a sense, the queen. You know, one with the king, so that makes me the king, right? And so uh, once that takes place, then we're established and we understand that Jesus destroyed what held the power of death, and that was the law. For this purpose, the Son of Man was manifest that he might destroy the power of death. That was the Mosaic law. That was any law of doing to be, and also destroy the fruit of that. And what's the fruit of that? Death. Nothing but dead works. And dead works do not produce life whatsoever. So next we discover the third step in spiritual awareness, which is a picture of Jesus's burial. It's called the great purge. Isn't that interesting? The great purge. So understanding the words translated as redemption, and I've talked about this before in the Bible, we explain this third step, the great, great purge. The Hebrew word translated as redemption is gula, G-E-U-L-L-H. And it means relationship. Gulal comes from Gaal, which means kinship. All right? So remember that. Relationship and kinship. And then in the Greek, the word is luo, meaning to break up, destroy, dissolve, melt away, and put off. So what happens in this step, uh, you experience chaos, 
you know, then you experience bliss. And when you experience bliss, you understand your relationship with Father. You understand your oneness. And then what happens, it melts away and dissolves and destroys everything that hinders you. So again, I say, Paul never said, take off and put on. He always said, put off and you will take off. When you put on new clothes, you have to take the, the new clothes, rid you of the old clothes, right? So in so doing, the great purge removes all that might continue to hinder you and traduces you, and it leaves your awareness, uh, even maybe it's something in your subconsciousness that's still there. And so it's good to meditate on your oneness with Father. It's good to meditate on how much Father loves you and how Father loves you without a cause. And the more you understand your oneness and your, that you are related to Father as in one with Father, then that even removes all that stuff that's deep down in your subconsciousness. That's why Paul said, why is it that I do what I, I try to do good and I do bad? He said, it's because there's sins in my members. That sin is marked missing. It could be the law or whatever. I believe he was talking about in his subconsciousness. Because there's things in your subconsciousness that make you do things and you don't understand why you're doing it or think things. So the truth is embraced. And as Jesus said, the truth, which is the not concealed word, will make you free, which is to, again, bring you to this experience of bliss. When you're in bliss, you're free. You're free from the cares of the world. You're free from the bad judgment to, to, to speak over a person. When somebody comes to you and says, I'm an alcoholic or I'm a homosexual or I'm a lesbian or I eat too much ice cream or whatever, you're free from judgment. Because all we're supposed to do is what? Judge people righteous and holy just like we are. So we never take off first because that's a dead work. I wish the church world could understand this. You don't need to teach people. You don't need to teach the, you need to you don't need to teach against anything. You just need to teach people who they are. And if you do it clearly and don't put any butts there, then they rise up to that. And whatever's hindering will just go away. That's why I say when you bring somebody to our fellowship to our fellowship, don't tell me what's going on in their life. I don't want to know. It's not that I don't care, it just doesn't matter, right? Because that does not negate who they are. So we understand righteousness and oneness and that which needs to leave, the old worn out, will when we understand it, it will automatically just exit. It just leaves your body So or your, your awareness. So if we receive the living word with meekness, right, the Bible talks about that, it will rescue our entire soul from anything that seeks to hinder us. So I want to repeat again, the great purge is not what you do. You don't purge yourself. Your higher awareness of your oneness with Father and who you are does the purging itself. You just calm yourself down, you relax, and be quiet, and meditate on the living word, and that takes care of the problem. Step four. I'm, I'm going to try to get here quickly, but it'll probably take another 15 minutes. The step four is the void. The void. Rivers of living water has been flowing through you now. You've been feeding and meditating on the word. And when that happens, it leaves room for nothing but spiritual thought and intellect is quickened. That's the, that's the fourth step to the throne that they teach. So your intellectual, uh, intellectual and, and spiritual thought is quickened by making contact with the divine mind. And as you know, voids desire to be filled, right? When, you, when something happens and there's a void there, it desires to be filled. So what happens is it will be filled, it will be filled and it can be filled with more negative stuff 
or you can yield yourself to the voice of the Father, and you can meditate on the living word, you can listen to the living word, you can, you can expose yourself to the living word, and that void will just suck that right in there. And that's, that's what will control your life. So you're now open to greater understanding. You're now open to knowledge. You're open to wisdom. Remember Solomon for a long time went out in the world seeking all kinds of physical stuff to learn everything you can learn. And he found out, as I said last week, it's just all soap bubbles, soap bubbles. It just pops and pops and pops. And then in a dream, father came to him and father spoke to him and said, ask anything you want and I'll give it to you. When he realized that things were soap bubbles, he said, I need wisdom and knowledge in leading the people. And Father gave that to him. And from using wisdom and knowledge, everything that was ever required just showed up. That's pretty powerful to me. Yeah. So it's a void because your awareness is emptied of all that was familiar to you. I am no longer, there's nothing inside of me of that which was familiar to me in the past. Those, those teachings that I was used to, it's not there anymore because it's been, been replaced with a living word. So then... There's no way you can go back to it. Why? Because you've tasted the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, and nothing else will satisfy you. I, I looked that uh, land of the living up in, in the verses that it's in in the Bible. Another one of them is Psalms tw uh, twenty-seven, thirteen. It says, "Therefore they shall come and sing in the height of Zion, which is spiritually mature people, and shall flow together to the goodness of the Lord for wheat and for wine and for oil." And for the young flock and the herd, and there shall, there, there shall be as a watered garden, and they shall not sorrow any more at all. That's what it says. Then in Jeremiah 31, 2, it says, They that loveth righteousness and judgment, their earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. And I immediately looked and thought, wait a minute, what do you mean righteous and judgment? And I looked it up and they added the word judgment, judgment and they added the word oh, and. and. So it actually says, they that love righteous judgment. Oh. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. you know, because they wanted you to think that we still had to face judgment. We love judgment. And, you know, Don and I have been watching a, a, seri a, a series from a long time ago, and they're cutting people's heads off and executing them for judgment. And all the crowd around there is just loving it. They're applauding it. They just love it. Mm -hmm. And I almost think Western Christian evangel uh, evangelism causes people to love judgment. To want to see people to be punished, you know, want to see them to suffer because they're not saved like I am. And the scripture causes that, the written word. So again, they love righteous judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. They see that, that we are full of the goodness of the Lord. Everybody is. That's Psalm 33, 5. So you have to go through all these steps, even the void, to taste the goodness of the Lord, Right? The holy breath and the comforter messenger say, taste and see the Father is nothing but good. I pray what I teach, what I present is, uh, an is in an appetizing manner that those who were hurt by ministry, those who no longer desire teaching from the Bible, they don't desire Father or teachers or whatever, I pray that they will hear it, they'll stop in their tracks and they turn and taste and see the eternal goodness of the Lord. Because Father is nothing but good. There's no wrath in him. There's no indignation in Father. There's nothing but love. It's also in this void you find rest. You find rest. If you'll be still and calm and don't seek to fill it with everything else. Paul said, we which have believed do enter into rest. 
for a person to believe they must go through these six steps. The ones I'm talking about. Not identifying with crucified, died, buried, and all that. You know, if you're there, that's okay. I'm not going to blow your light out. But I'm telling you, there's more light. It's a brighter light. Mm -hmm. So, not everyone does it in the same order, though. Some of these orders are different, you know, but you're still going to go through all six of them. And so, when you experience this, and if you believe, to believe means to place your spiritual well-being in constant contact with the Father. And constant contact with the Divine Mind. I believe Father is my source. I'm going to stay in contact with the source. I quit going to other sources to bring life to me. Then we will have confidence on all Father decided, decreed, and declared from the foundation of the world. And I'm confident these steps will bring great bliss. I've experienced it in a very, very large manner. And I believe I will experience it more and more and more. Or I should say measure and so I can tell you, studying the past teachings of the six steps of the throne from this penal substitution perception did not give me real peace. Mm. Did it you? It, it, get, it, it put my peace in the wrong place. It put my peace in that everybody that accepts Jesus will be saved. And what Jesus did was a perfect work. It was all based on what Jesus did when literally our salvation is based on what Father decreed from the foundation of the world. Jesus was here to teach us that, but the people couldn't hear it, and the translators messed it up. And then Father gave Paul the revelation, and then it got veiled, and that's why we're unveiling what Paul did. So I still felt I needed to do something more. That's, that's one of my biggest challenges, is I've always felt like I needed to do something more. And a lot of that was because rejection, you know. I had a pastor that didn't support me whatsoever, and so there was a lot of rejection there. And I always felt less than everybody else. And so there was a lot of stuff that I felt. But remember, feelings lie to you. Mm -hmm. So we need the peace that comes from step four because it brings quietness and calmness. In other words, be still and know to our soul, which causes us to step up to know who we are as sons and fathers of the Supreme Father or sons and daughters. So the next step is being quiet, calm. It will enable you to move to this next step, which is groundness. G-R-O-U-D-N-E-S-S. Groundness. It might seem unusual for me to use the raised step in this teaching of groundness, but that's what it is. To be grounded causes you to raise, right? Donna uh, planted some uh, onions outside, <clears throat> and they had to be grounded in other words, they, they were put in the ground. And so if they were grounded, then what did they do? They raised up. The green came out of it, the top of the onion, and then gradually the whole onion began to raise up out of that dirt. And I saw that yesterday, and I thought this is a great example of this. You have to be grounded before you can raise up. And what are you grounded in? The living word. Because the roots went deep. The roots go deep. If you're not grounded in a, in a living word, then you're grounded in the written word, or not the word at all, either way, it, it's, it's, it's the great lie. It's the great lie of separateness. And so you're not grounded in a good place because Jesus said we need to be grounded in good soil. And I believe that's a living word. It's an excellent soil. Excellent soil causes you to raise your awareness even higher and higher, and it pulls you up and you never stop. The very light of, uh, and the glory and the power of God pulls you up just like the sun pulls that plant up out there. But if you just laid it on top of the dirt and it never made a connection, it's just going to sit there. 
and it's going to die. It's an onion, but it's never going to produce what it really is. So step five, you're involved in growing your roots deep in the living word, grounded. One might say on this step for a long time, and I'm there. I will always be in this grounded part because there's so much more to learn. I, some people, they're happy with what they know. Some people want to go on. I'm not satisfied. I want the whole mother load, you know. And so either way, it's okay, just as long as you teach the living word out of the measure that you understand. Mm -hmm. So once you're grounded in the living word, then you begin to serve as a priest to the people. You even may become a comforter messenger. And uh, to me, that's the, that's the place that I want to be. That's the place that everybody really should strive to be because you want to bring comfort to people. You want them to be able to say, I was relieved when Norma told me that I was born righteous. I was relieved when Donna told me that father was never mad at me and never could be mad at me. That, that's what a cherubim does. To become a master comforter messenger as Jesus was is to know that you know that you know that you, you fully live out of your holy breath and you stay in contact with father and you never leave contact with father. If you're stressed out, if you're worried, you're not quiet, you're not calm, then you're not in contact, right? That's, that's proof of it. So you stay in contact. And that's why I loved it when I found the scripture where it said the only begotten. It said the only one at that time that stayed in his original birth state. He stayed in contact with Father. So being grounded in the living word, you're ready to be that true cherubim and you become a person of blessing. Your energy systems then becomes more, more uh, powerful, if you would. You're rooted and your source, you're rooted in the divine mind. The onion has an energy system in it, but it needed to be planted. It draws water, it draws nutrient, nutrient, and that energy in its DNA causes it to become the onion and the plant. And so, what happens then? You now see, you now see, and you now hear other than physical, or I could say supernaturally, with your single eye and your single ear, because they're wide open. And you constantly hear the voice of Father. I one of my, I just love it when I go in there and study, and I just get quiet and I get calm and I don't fret out. I used to fret about what am I going to teach? You know, somebody invited me to come to the church, or I was going to be preaching at Brother Garner's, and I was just always worried it wasn't going to be good enough, and I was just labored and labored and labored. But then I I came to this place where I sat there and I just be still, calm and quiet, and Father just speaks to me, and I heard the voice last night. Six steps to the throne. Just real quiet in my thoughts, but I knew it was Father. And then I went down this path and it was so exciting because you know Father's guiding your footsteps. That's my energy system has been functioning and the very life of God is flowing through every part of my brain and it's able to go in there and tap into things that I learned a long time ago and then explain it to me. And that's what I did with that lady last night when, you know, I wouldn't teach what she taught because it's going a different direction, but I found those steps and I thought, these are powerful. And I, I know that I can fit them in with crucified, died very quick and raised and seated. And I hope you see that it has. So groundness is preparing you for the next step, which symbolizes seated. Seated would be what? At rest. So you're at rest knowing you know of your true self and your father, and you can also be confident and what you teach to be the truth, to, to be the truth. I no longer listen to people who function out of their five sense realm. I'm after people that teach the living word. And uh, 
I continue to learn. I continue my mandate, mission, and ministry is to eat the fat and to drink the sweet and to send portions to people that don't have any. You know, and that's the that's the understanding of the word. So the sixth step, and in closing, uh, the sixth step is purpose and life mission, ministry and mandate. Purpose and your life mission, ministry and mandate. One has to be seated at rest in Father enough to understand their purpose and life mission. Would you agree with me? If you're not at rest, if you know that Father loves you unconditionally and you're a perfect rest with Father, there's no more doubt, no more fear or whatever, then you can begin to understand this and being seated in your purpose and life ministry mandate can take many, many years for a lot of people. I knew my purpose and life's mission back in 1988, but I was unaware of all it would entail and how often my awareness and understanding would climb higher and higher and higher. And I believe that Father helped me in never getting stuck. Mm -hmm. I never was satisfied. I always knew there was more. I used to have people tell me, why can't you just stay in what Brother Garner taught? My pastor, Brother Hibbert, probably would have said, why can't you just stay in what I'm teaching? You know, if John Corson knew that I studied under him from 88 to 96 and he saw what I'm teaching, why, why didn't you just stay where I'm at? Well, when a minister asked you that, you know, you better get up and go. <laughs> Because I wouldn't want to go back to where doctors were in the 1920s. We watched a movie the other night that I'm guessing is like 1800s or during the British War and all that, 1700s. And th these people were having problems and all they knew how to do is go cut their veins and bleed them. I wouldn't want to go back to that. I don't doubt that some of them died from that. A lot of them did. Most no. of them did. Yeah. Or uh, leeches. Leeches? Yep. Oh, yeah. They all kinds of stuff. So... I do what I do, again, by eating the fat and drinking the sweet of the living word. And I looked that up last night, and that's one of my callings that the Father gave me in Nehemiah and then Jeremiah 1. The fat represents a rich dish from a fertile field. Isn't that good? That's the first time I've ever looked it up. A rich dish from a fertile field. The Hebrew for that is mashman. <laughs> you know, I don't quite understand why they call it that. So this rich dish of the living word I eat has no bitters in it. It's all sweet. If you read just the living word and you sit under the teaching of the living word, it is not sweet. It's bitter, right? You can never line up with it and it contradicts itself and it's very confusing. So to prepare portions for those who have none, I have invested over 32 years rooting out, pulling down, to destroy and to throw down all the mistranslations and wrong additions to the living word, you have to do that before you can build and plant. And that's Jeremiah 1.10. And that's what Father told me that he gave me the mission to do that many years ago. So when you enter your purpose in life, mission, mandate, ministry, if you have with excellence, you take the first five steps and you will function with power, which means you function as a rod of iron and a comforter messenger. What is a rod of iron? Well, rod is always a symbolism of the word of God, mm -hmm. and iron always symbolizes strength, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. So you function out of the word of God with strength. In other words, you have understanding. I've heard people say before of other people, man, that person is strong in understanding. Valerie Robinson complimented me by saying, you are full of it. <laughs> I don't know if that's what she meant, but I took it to mean that way, that I am full of the word of God. And so some do not know their mission yet, but if they diligently spend time in these first five steps, they realize spiritual awareness 
and they, they look behind them and they see they've been in it all their life. So the amount of time you spend on each step is in your hands. I can't tell you how long you have to stay somewhere. But I also was reminded last night in the book of Revelation, it says time is no more. And you know, any of y'all know what that means? I know you know, Donna. Mm -hmm. What's in your, something's in your hand, what is it? The throttle is in your hand. You can go as fast as you wanna go, or you can go as slow as you want to go. You can learn as fast. You can learn as fast, or you can just say, well, I'm not interested. It's up to you. Also, it's pictured in the royal wine in the book of Esther. It's offered to you, but they said, don't beckon them to come. If they don't want any, that's okay. If they want a little, it's okay. Or if they want to drink the whole bowl, it's okay. And so Father is holding out his hand ministry today. And in Isaiah, I think it said, I'm going to hold out my hand one more time. And he was speaking to Israel. So he was going to hold Israel out one more time. And this time the messenger must reflect the message. And of course, Israel never did. So basically, you can go as fast as you want. So on my last page, and I'm done. Once you become fully aware of your purpose in life, ministry, and mandate, who you are will come to your awareness like a massive lightning bolt and you will follow your soul's path. I remember the day that I got it. I remember the day, or I should say it got me, but I just remember the day that I always I realized I am who Father says I am, and I will never ever be insecure about that again. I believe I could boldly stand in front of a million people and teach with no fear. I would love to have the opportunity to do it, you know? And I do, on the internet, I teach a lot of people, not a million, but I teach a lot of people but I'm not, I'm not afraid, I'm not fearful because my confidence is in my contact with Father. And I want to follow my soul's path and Father's laid that path out from the day I was born. So then no matter what or who, you will not allow anything to move you off your path, right? Rejection, no, that's not gonna move me. Others talk about me uh, in the wrong way, nope, that's not gonna move me. Very few wanna listen to you, nope. Family and friends ignore what you teach? Nope. Ministers scared to have you teach in their fellowship? No. Nope. Only having three or four people come to my weekly meetings, sometimes just me and my wife? Nope, it's not gonna stop me. Nothing exists that can separate me from the mission and ministry and mandate, not even a sense of age or a sense of sickness or a sense of disease. Sometimes physically, I don't feel like going in there. I've had a lot of times I've heard, well, you should stop for a while. And I say, no, I'm not going to. Because like Jeremiah, this living word is in my awareness. It's burning. Uh, it's a burning fire that's shut up in my bones. And I get worried if I keep it in. I can't stop. quit. Huh? If you stop, you're afraid that the ember will go out. Yeah, I just can't. I was so blessed this week. Uh, my little grandson, Ethan, he's eight years old. And I just love him so much. When I brought him home from school, we keep him one hour every day until his mama gets home. I said, do you want to go out there and sit on Papa's bench in the garden? And he got so excited. We went out there and we sat and we looked at my garden. And I just began to talk to him about my garden. And I got some cotton. I love to grow a little bit of cotton with the flowers. And so I said, let's make some cotton balls. So I had him pick up all the cotton off the ground. And I put, we were sitting there pulling the sticks and stuff out of it. And I was putting it together and I had him smell it. And he said, oh, that smells so good, Papa. And I said, you know, Papa was looking at this garden the other day and fall is here. And a lot of people will look at it and think that it's not pretty because the shiny flowers aren't there anymore. The leaves are starting to turn brown. But I said, really, in truth, there's still life there. 
And even when the cold, cold winter hits and it all falls off, there's still life in the roots. And next year, it's going to come forth in beautiful life. And I said, that's the way we are. Sometimes we don't look real good. Sometimes we don't act real nice. But the truth is, there's a life inside of us that's beautiful. And I was wanting to let him know that he's beautiful because he struggles a lot. And sometimes he thinks that everybody thinks he's mean and he'll even say I'm mean or whatever. And so we started talking and he told me, he said, Papa, I don't want to die. I love living and I love life. And he said, that's why I believe in reincarnation. He said, because I think God wants us to live. And so if I die, I, I'm going to come back as somebody else and you are too. And I didn't debate with him about that, but I started talking about a lot of different beliefs. And, you know, he said something about a devil. And so I said, well, I said, Ethan, there's a lot of mythological and paganistic beliefs out there, just like you like mythology, Greek mythology. Those things aren't real. And he said, oh, Papa, I know the devil's not real. And I said, how do you know that? And he said, because I watch your YouTube videos. <laughs> and I just lit up. And I said, you do? And he said, yes, I've been watching them a long time. And I found the one where you explain the devil. And he said, I know what the word Damien means. And he said, it means a supernatural spirit with a bad character. This is an eight-year-old child. Huh? His mind is a sponge. <laughs> it's a sponge. It is. And he said, I'm halfway through it, but I'm going to finish it. And I mean, it just brought tears to my eyes that the Bible says you must come. Jesus said you must come to the Father as a child. You know, and I believe we still need to understand that. These six steps may be your missing link. And I heard this last night. Last night, These six steps that I just explained could be your missing link to be aware that you are the throne room of Father. Crucified, died, buried, I, and, and been a, a getting saved, but still a sinner. That didn't help me understand that I am the throne room of Father. I walk around, you walk around at the very, pre we presence God in this earth. Father is at rest in you as you, and you're at rest with Father. So there's a big world around, around you, and they're waiting for you to be who you be. And we need to think about that. So I hope you enjoy this. I love studying it. And when I found these six different steps and integrated what I know about it into it, it's just to me, I, said, I was sitting there, this is going to be the best sermon ever. And I know I say that about a lot, <laughs> but the truth is good. So I appreciate all of you being here. Hi, Butch. It's good to see you, brother, or to know you're here. Uh, again, a lot of people are doing this. If you're interested in the transcripts, this is what I teach, and it helps you understand it more. You can join the transcript club. You can message me, and I'll send you a link. Uh, if you send at least $10 a month, every, every Sunday I teach, you'll get a transcript on that. I attach it to Messenger. So... A lot of people are doing that, and uh, I think you would enjoy it yourself. So God bless you. I appreciate you. If you didn't uh, hear it, Kay announced that they're not having services tonight, so she won't be there. So find one of her other messages and listen to it again, or go back to some that you didn't, because she will bless you. Thank you, Glenda. Thank you, Mary. Bless you. Have a good day.